Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. We are going to continue our series. This is actually our fourth week in a series called, um, what is it called? It's called Following Jesus to the Cross. And we've been talking about how as followers of Jesus, we have this call. um, Jesus gives us all this call in Matthew 16 to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It's this call for every disciple, anyone who would want to come after Jesus, to come and die, to come and be all in with Jesus. And so this morning as we continue, um, we're going to look at one topic that we might have trouble surrendering to Jesus. Um, we might have trouble giving this, this thing up, maybe more than anything else. And that what I'm talking about is our pride. You know, God, Jesus calls us to let go of different things so that we can get a better grip on the cross. And one of the things that we have trouble letting go of sometimes is our pride, is our desire to, um, to be important, our desire to find fulfillment for ourselves, um, our desire to build up our self-worth. Like our pride gets in the way of a lot of things. And sometimes in our weak moments, pride can get the best of us. Um, I had a day when I was a recruiter um, where I was really frustrated. This was way, way long time ago when I was uh, working as a recruiter for a staffing company. Um, you know, I had been working hard. I had been putting long weeks in, you know, 60-plus hours a week. And, you know, maybe you felt this way. I just feel like nobody was noticing. You know, anybody ever feel that at work? Like, man, I'm putting all this hard work in, and nobody is noticing me. And so my desk buddy um, really didn't encourage this this day. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Nobody is noticing you. Um, You know, he was adding fuel to the fire. He's like, yeah, you're being overlooked. Um, You know what you should do? Um, You should go to the boss and tell him, hey, um, I want a promotion. You know, I, you should go to the boss and say, like, tell him that you're serious. Make, make your presence felt. And so, you know, usually I wouldn't get into this stuff, but I was pretty, like, pumped up after this, this talk. And the bad news is, is that this was the day that Todd, who is our regional vice president, happened to be visiting our office. So he was my boss's boss's boss, okay? He was way up the chain. And, but I was, I was ra- ramped up. I had my pep talk. I'm like, you're right. I just need to make my presence felt. And so I went into his office, and I interrupted what he was doing. Was just like, and I said, hey, what do I need to do to be noticed at this company? <laughs> 23-year-old kid just walking into the boss's office. Um, it was a bold move. It was a bold move. But here's a leader. Todd was extremely gracious. You know, you would have thought, oh, get out of my office, kid. You're fired, you know. But he was very gracious. And instead of telling me to just go back to my desk and be quiet, he's like, well, you know, if you work harder and you put time in, um, you'll get there. You know, if you get get your numbers up, you'll get there. And so he was really gracious. And I didn't have a plan past, hey, why isn't anyone noticing me? So after that, I was like, okay, thanks. Sorry, bye. (laughs) And uh, I walked down, I walked down the hall, and my deskmate's just got his head in his desk. Like, I didn't think you were actually going to do that. Like, that's so embarrassing. It was embarrassing. I felt pretty embarrassed. 
but pride can lead us to do some pretty dumb things out of our insecurity. You know, we can say some pretty dumb things because we're insecure. We need to fight for ourselves and defend ourselves because no one is noticing us. And today we're going to look at Matthew 20 and this story where Jesus and his disciples deal with this issue of pride. This story happens right before the triumphal entry, right before Palm Sunday. Um, it's this moment where pride just kind of engulfs the disciples. It just kind of takes over. And so we're going to read the story. It's, it's in uh, Matthew 20, verse 20. It'll be up on the screen, or you can uh, read along in your Bibles. It says this. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she, ha she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard of it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is an interesting story. Um, first, apparently the mother of James and John was traveling with the disciples. Um, what's interesting is the Bible doesn't really mention the mom at all outside of this passage. And so uh, what it's showing us is that she really doesn't, she's not really the one making the request. It's really these two sons, James and John. They want to be important. And so what's, what's funny is, is that these two brothers, they're asking for important positions in the kingdom, but maybe they're too afraid to do it, so they get their mom to do it, which is kind of a classic move if you think about it. Like, man, I really don't want to do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask mom. I'm gonna see if mom will do it. Um, you know, I had, I had my mom bail me out of a few, a few things uh, growing up. Like, oh man, it, this form is due tomorrow. Hey mom, can you fill this out for me and get it in? Or I really don't want to make this phone call. Mom, can you? do this, and often she'd be willing to. Um, you know, moms, all moms are different, but many moms are willing to rush to the aid of their kids, right? They're able to, they want to rush to the aid of their kids. And so here you have kind of an innocent mom. She's just probably her son's biggest fans, and so she wants to do whatever she can to make sure that they succeed. All I say that to say, let's cut mom some slack in this situation. <laughs> It's really the sons. Like in the, in the book of Mark, it doesn't even mention the mom. It just goes straight to the sons. So these, these boys, they ask Jesus for important positions in his kingdom. You know, they wanted recognition for their hard work. They wanted to be affirmed that they were truly super disciples. Um, they, they wanted to be affirmed that they, they must have thought they were better. They must have looked around and be like, yeah, I love Jesus more than all these people. You know, like, Jesus should pick me. Um, it was a bold move. 
but often we, whatever our circumstances are, we tend to be higher on ourselves than we are on other people. We tend to elevate and give ourselves more credit and more understanding than we do to other people. Um, or we beat ourselves up way more than we would other people, but usually the focus is on us. There's this desire to be affirmed that we all have. There's this desire to be something or to mean something that we all have and uh, that we're driven by. And we often give ourselves way more grace in that than we do to others. And so all of us have this desire. You know, we want to be something. And I love how forward these brothers' request is. It seems like it came straight out of, like, corporate America, you know? Like, you know, I, if you want something, you just go out and get it, right? You just have that conversation. It, you know, grab the bull by the horns, right? Like, if you, life's there, just take it. You know, that's stuff we hear a lot, right? Like, be bold, be assertive. And so these guys, maybe they had a pep talk, and they came up and they're, they're, they tell Jesus, hey, we want to be great. We want to be great. We want to be recognized in your kingdom. Give us the positions that we're looking for. And then Jesus replies, you do not know what you're asking. He's saying, you guys, you don't have a clue what it means to, to be somebody in my kingdom. You have no idea what you're asking. And so he follows that up with, are you willing to drink the cup that I am to drink? And then they brazenly reply, yeah, yeah, we could do that. We're able. We can, we can do that, Jesus. Right before this, Jesus had reminded his disciples again of the cup that he was going to drink. It was not a pretty cup. Um, Jesus was about to drink the cup of his father's wrath. He was about to be brutalized and hung on a cross to die in front of everyone. He was about to be put in the ground for three days before rising again. That's the cup of leadership that Jesus is about to take. That's the cup of greatness, of glory that Jesus chose. It's one of emptying himself, not building himself up. So is that the cup that they were really looking for? Is that what they really wanted? The fact is, is that we are not able to drink that cup. There's only one person who could take on the whole sins of the world. There's only one person who could save the souls of anyone who would choose to follow him. There's only one Savior, and that's Jesus. But they would suffer for Jesus. They would suffer for him. James ultimately would be the first disciple to be martyred. He would be beheaded. John would spend his final years in exile on an island, so they would suffer. Je that's why Jesus said, you will drink my cup. You won't drink the cup in the amount that I will, but you will drink the cup of suffering. And the hard reality of Scripture is that disciples, all disciples, this is not this phrase, you will drink my cup, is not just for James and John. It's really for anyone who would follow Jesus, that you will drink my cup. S scripture says that all disciples are guaranteed to suffer for the name of Jesus. If you want, it says, I think in 1 Timothy, if you want to live a godly life in Christ, then you will suffer. It's part of the deal. 
So I want us to take a step back and consider, was there a time where you suffered for Christ? Some of you might have had something come up right away. Like, yes, I can name it. I can name the date. I can name the person. But if your answer is never, I want to ask you guys, as a brother in Christ, are you following Jesus all in? Are you following Jesus even when it's not convenient or comfortable? Or are you only following Jesus when it benefits you? And that's the question that we wrestle with with that statement. You will drink my cup. We've said it a lot, but the call to follow Jesus is a call to die to self. If we're going to live a new life in Christ, the old one has to die, and death is never fun. Death is never easy, but it's the only way that we will experience new life in Christ. And so this call to come and die, it's not hypothetical. It's not, well, you know, if he ever asks me to, sure, I'd be willing to do that. It's, no, it's a call to surrender, to give our entire lives to Christ day after day after day. It will involve some amount of suffering. Being obedient to Jesus will involve some type of suffering in our lives. And are we willing to drink that cup? Are we willing to drink that cup? What if God calls us to do something crazy like love our enemies? Which he did. <laughs> he called all of us to love our enemies. What if he calls us to live below our means so that we can give more to the kingdom? You know, these are the ways that we die to self. We don't follow Jesus to improve our lives, to make us better people. We follow Jesus because he's really the only one worth living for. There's nothing else that provides us eternal life. There's no other source of joy beyond circumstance. There's no other source of refuge in storms. Nothing else, nothing that we can build for ourselves can provide that. It's only found in Jesus. And so we don't do it to just improve our lives. We do it because he's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. And so when we see Jesus for who he is, it brings us to a low place. We forget sometimes, but when we see Jesus to who he really is, it really does a, does a doozy on our pride. Um, we don't have much to bring to the table before Jesus. Jesus isn't going to be impressed with all of our good works. Like we just come ready to receive from him. And so guys, this morning, here is why pride is such a problem. Pride is a problem because our pride takes the focus off the king. When we have pride in our lives, it takes the focus off of the one that people should be focused on, Jesus. We're asking for people to look at us instead of us being a channel backing up for the king, us being in service to the king. And so our pride can get in the way of people seeing Jesus. Our pride can get in the way of people experiencing the love and grace and forgiveness that Jesus would want to give them. Because he's the only one worthy of receiving that praise and glory. And for some weird reason, we want to divert that and kind of take that praise and glory our way. 
You know, it's easy to claim to follow Jesus, but then live a life where we're just constantly promoting ourselves. We're constantly talking about ourselves. You know, we can claim Jesus, but then our eyes can never shift off of us, like, um, getting farther in work or improving whatever we want to improve or, you know, being a better person. Our eyes can never shift off of Jesus. He just becomes, like we talked about last week, kind of an addition to an already full plate. And even in the church, it's easy to kind of get consumed with the work, but not with the Savior, right? It's easy to get consumed with what we need to do, but then forget the most important thing, which is to spend time with Jesus. And when we, when we work and we do it for ourselves, it blocks people from seeing the whole point of doing it anyways. Because when we are about serving Jesus as his follower, people should be seeing him and not us. People should be seeing him through us, and not us. And I love this illustration that J.D. Greer gave. This is in his book, Gaining by Losing. But he talked about how when we follow Jesus, we're like the best man at a wedding. All right? Or a maid of honor, whatever. But in this case, we're going to say best man. Um, but imagine you're at a wedding, right? I mean, which is easy because we're kind of sitting like there could be a wedding going on right now. So just imagine you're at a wedding. And, you know, there's always that moment before the bride gets there, you know, and there's just great anticipation. A hush falls over the crowd, and she starts walking up, and she just locks eyes with the groom, right? So what if, what if the best man put his head in front of the groom <laughs> and was like, hey, how you doing? You know, like, we started making suggestive winks and like just started trying to steal that, that gaze, right? Like the, the, he would be in the hospital in a couple minutes because the groom would knock him to the floor. Um, but, but when we follow Jesus, it's all about him. We're like the best man at the wedding. We're trying to make Jesus look good. We're trying to make, make the point of it all look good. We're not trying to steal, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job. I look pretty good in this suit, don't I? Like, I'm, I'm looking good. I, uh, I showered today, you know? Like, <laughs> but we, we do that, you know, when we get more about us than about Jesus. We become that best man who wants to, like, poke his head out and steal the attention of the bride. We're, we're trying to be the star of the show when really we're just there to make the groom look good. And so when we come to Jesus, here's good news for a lot of us. You can stop trying to look good, okay? You can just stop because it's all about Jesus. Something far more important is going on. The kingdom of God is far greater than whatever we've got going on in our little lives. Because only Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. We can't save anyone. Uh, we can't make an impact in Blaine. It's only Jesus. He's the only one who can do that. And so we've got to make it all about him. Um, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about how even as he was planting all these churches and, and spreading the gospel everywhere, he made a point to make sure that it was all about Jesus. Um, it wasn't about his talent. It wasn't about his skills. It wasn't about any of that. And I want to share this. It's from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I, this is key. For I decided to know nothing 
among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I was with you, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Guys, this is Jesus' show. And that's what Paul is saying. This is his show. And Paul doesn't come up prepared. Paul doesn't come up like a snazzy salesperson, like, hey, uh, let me tell you about this guy I know, Jesus. You know, he doesn't come with like a, like a 15-point PowerPoint presentation and like tell you why you need to buy, buy now or you'll lose out forever. None of that. Paul just shows up with the power of Jesus so that the power of Jesus might be displayed. Jesus shows up when Paul's at his weakest, not when he's at his strongest. He, Paul is just there to make the way for Jesus. He, he doesn't show up like with all these words of wisdom. You know, with, um, he, he doesn't show up with lofty speech. He just shows up so that the Spirit of God can demonstrate his power through a person. That's what's genuine. That's what's authentic is when the Spirit of God moves through, a, moves through a person and moves through a people. So Paul isn't about to take that glory, that, that uh, fame for himself and say, yeah, I, I've got it, this Jesus thing pretty much figured out. Just look at me. I'll tell you what to do. No, he makes the way for Jesus. And so for us, you know, we come as willing servants on behalf of the king. We, we talk to people as willing servants on behalf of this great king. And in doing so, it frees us from having to be polished, having to be super prepared or professional. Like, we can just rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the life is. Jesus just wants to work. It's not about the best man. It's about the groom. So let's get back to James and John. You know, when the other disciples heard about this, the 12 guys, they were outraged. They were furious. Man, they were probably furious because they didn't think of it first. Like, I should have asked that. Man, gosh, these guys are smart. Um, so everybody, all the guys, all 12 guys have, a, have hurt feelings at this point. They, they got their feelings hurt. And so Jesus gets these guys together with their hurt feelings. You can just imagine what's going on. Um, and, but he explains to these guys as they're mad at each other, as they're hurt, he explains what it looks like to be important in the kingdom of God. So what does it look like to be important, to mean something in the kingdom? And we read this earlier. I'm going to repeat it. But th these are the words of Jesus. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, in the world, you're used to people using their position to get you to do what they want. Like greatness is associated with position in the world, that you're used to people lording their authority over you. 
And you're used to resenting that, right? If you've ever had a boss who just who was like this dominant micromanaging personality, right? Like you don't really like that. Most people don't really like that. D yeah, but uh, maybe Drew. Drew, do you like that? Okay, thanks. Just want to make sure. He looked like you looked like you did actually. Um, but no, we're used to position meaning importance in our community. That the higher position I have, the more important I am. But that's not the way that it works in the kingdom. And so this is the way that it works. This is the next point. Is that Jesus flips the focus of our importance from position to influence. That it's, it's not about position. It's all about influence through the love of God. You know, think about how much we focus on position in life. Like, we love titles in our culture. We just, we just love titles. We like, we like job titles that sound important. Um, we describe ourselves like, I'm a manager, I'm an executive, I'm an A student, I'm an all-star. You know, we, we like to attach titles to our name. Um, today, people, a lot of people are attaching, like, their personality profile, using that as a title, like, I'm an ENFP. Um, I'm a seven on the Instagram, or Instagram, Enneagram. Wow, okay, gee, man. Um, you know, but we're like, yeah, my, my personality type is superior to yours, so that's why I share that. Um, but we all have our titles. You know, personally, I have sort of this love-hate relationship with the title of pastor. Like, I love being your pastor. I, I think it's endearing. Um, but I think some people have a tendency to elevate the calling of a, a pastor to everybody else. Like, that's a focus of the church, and it's not. Like, that's not what, what Jesus says. He says that we're a kingdom of priests. Like, we're all called to the work. You know, no one's, uh, no one's exempt from um, following Jesus uh, because they're not specifically called uh, to be a pastor. We're all a kingdom of priests. We're all sort of pastors called to do that in our own community, to lead in our own community. There was another pastor who used to s just not say he was a pastor. He used to call himself a soul architect, and I really like that, actually. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it, it, he said on the plane, like, he didn't want to get into long conversation. and be like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a soul architect. Cool. All right. <laughs> But in our world and culture, titles equal importance. The better sounding the title, the means the more important you are. You know, the higher up you are on the org chart, it means the more value you have to an organization. And that's what Jesus just takes a sledgehammer to. He says, no, this isn't how we're going to do it. We're not going to do the org chart in the kingdom. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He's saying bond servant. He says, whoever... Uh, it's translated bondservant, which means a servant who would serve freely, not like a slave who, who does it against their will, but a bondservant is somebody who serves freely. And so he's saying, if you want to be great, then serve. If you want to be great, serve freely. As Jesus changes our hearts, that's what he calls us to. As he works on us, that is what he calls us to. And so this is the last point here. Um, when we serve freely, that's when we influence those around us. 
when we follow Jesus and when we serve people freely, not expecting anything back, not trying to be coercive, but when we just serve because of what Jesus has given us, that's when we have our greatest influence. That's where the greatness lies, not in asserting our own authority. There is an amazing example of this um, in Japan. There is a Japanese Christian um, named Toyohiko Kagawa. I really worked on that name, but Toyohiko Kagawa. And he lived in Japan during the first half of the 20th century. You know, he was a follower of Christ in a place that was dangerous to be a Christian, especially at this time. This is like World War I, World War II era. Like he, it was dangerous to be a Christian in Japan at this time. But Toyohiko had heard about Jesus in a world religions class. He had heard of Jesus compared to all these different ways, paths to follow, and he said, that's the truth. And he chose to follow Jesus, and he was abandoned by his family, and the cost was great. But one day Toyohiko prayed, oh God, make me like Christ. Make me like Christ. It was a dangerous prayer. Oh God. Make me like Christ. Almost asking me, let me drink the cup of suffering. And that prayer led him to move into the slums of Tokyo. Uh, he went there even though he was already suffering from tuberculosis. He's like, no, I'm just going to go. And so he moved into this six-foot-by-six-foot hut in the slums in Tokyo. On the first night, uh, he was asked to share his bed with a man who was suffering from a contagious itch. Gross, right? But he, he said, okay. He wouldn't go back on his call. The beggars in the community asked for his clothes, and he gave them away freely. Uh, they asked for his stuff, and he gave that away. Other people in the slum laughed at him, but eventually they began to respect him. They began to see the love of Jesus in his life. And he would go out in the streets and he would preach, God is love, while coughing from tuberculosis. And when he'd get exhausted and fall down, those other people in the slums would pick him up and carry him back to his hut. He began to influence that slum for Jesus. This is what he wrote later on. He wrote that God dwells among the lowliest of men. He sits in the dust heap among the prison convicts. He stands with the juvenile delinquents. He is there with the beggars. He is among the sick. He stands with the unemployed. Therefore, let him who would meet God visit the prison cell before going to the temple. Before he goes to church, let him visit the hospital. Before he reads the Bible, let him help the beggar. Toyohiko became last so that Jesus could be made first. Jesus' love is what influenced Toyohiko, and Toyohiko put that out into the community. And that's the love that Jesus models. Jesus didn't come with positional authority and say, you're all going to listen to me now. He came to surrender his life as a servant, and that's when God made him great. When Toyohiko did this, when he became last, God raised him up. His influence was huge. He went on to write 150 books, which is pretty crazy. Um, after World War II ended, he had a chance to stand before the emperor of Japan 
and tell him to love his people like Jesus. And then when he died in 1960, he was awarded the second highest honor in Japan, which has a pretty cool name. It's the Order of the Sacred Treasure. Like, doesn't that just sound like a perfect movie name? But anyways, he had all this influence because he was willing to surrender his life in the love of Christ. So here's a question for us today. What if we prayed that same prayer? Oh God, make me like Christ. Oh God, make me like Christ. Show me what I need to do to follow Christ. That would be a scary prayer, wouldn't it? That would be a scary prayer because that would mean we would have to become last. If we wanted to be great, if we wanted to follow what Christ modeled, that means that we would have to become last. We'd have to loosen our grip on our own importance. We'd have to move from first in our lives to last in our lives. We'll make a difference when we continue to become last and Jesus continues to become first. Jesus works through us when we give up our entitlements to things and we take up the cross. When we're willing to say, yes, Jesus, I'll go talk to that person. Yes, Jesus, I'll go to this place, even though I'm scared out of my mind. Yes, Jesus, I'll have this conversation. Yes, Jesus, I'll go serve. Yes, Jesus, I'll give here. Whatever you call me to do, not my will, but your will be done. That's when Jesus uses us. When we're unafraid of what may come. When we just want to lift Jesus up. And so Jesus wants us to find life by being last. To find the freedom in being last so that he can be made first. It's kind of like I I had a mentor tell me once that, hey, if you want to lead well, you should get really comfortable with being nothing. What? It's like, just be nothing. What he meant was, don't make it about you. Make it about something greater. In this case, make it about Jesus. Just serve. Just be available. You know, there's freedom in being last. There's freedom in giving up the fight to continually establish yourself and join a much bigger thing, which is Jesus and his kingdom. It's much bigger than what we can build on our own for our own lives. It's what God in us is more powerful than us on our own. We can do amazing things with God in us. And the great news today is that we don't follow Jesus alone. He gives us a community of people that are all called to serve. That What if we were all last, right? Like we would all serve each other. There would be so much love here, so much willingness to follow Jesus and to love each other. And I, mean, I have to be honest with you, I, I see that happening in pockets here, and it's awesome. But what if it was bigger? I watched this video this week of an Amish community, and the, and the band can come on up, um, but there was a... a, a of an Amish community that moved a, uh, a huge barn about 300 yards. And the way they did it is they surrounded this barn with 200 people. And they all lifted it up at the same time, and they walked 300 yards. Can you imagine that? Like, that is amazing. But what struck me about the video was the was not just the fact that they were able to lift this barn and move it, but the silence. 
that there was, there was, it was silent when they were moving it. There wasn't anybody like, hey, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. You know, when we're all focused on the same thing, like we can do great things when it's not about us. And so that's why God calls us to lay down our pride. We become unified when we agree to serve freely. God would have the space to do great things in our midst. He would have all of us. And imagine if he had all of us together, if we were unafraid as a community. So guys, I want to, I want to see that happen in our hearts individually. I want to see that happen in our community. I want to pray towards that. I want God to become great in all of our lives. I want Jesus to be lifted up above any of us. And if you struggle like me with pride, you have a chance this morning to just surrender that. What is that pride issue this morning? What is the thing that, that you are trying to defend in your life? As we pray this morning, would you just take a minute and think about that? Would you take a minute and, and literally hold that area of pride up to God? Say, I really struggle with this. I really don't want to have this conversation. I, I really don't want to humble myself in this way before my boss, before my coworker, before my wife, before my husband, before my kids, whatever it might be. But I believe that if we're willing to surrender our pride, our pursuit of building ourselves up, that Jesus will be radically at work in our hearts. That he will be, that he will move through us, he'll move through you like never before. And so I want to pray towards that. I want to pray towards that this morning. Let's pray. As we pray, I just want you guys to take a minute now before we do that to just spend some time in quiet before the Lord. Just let him speak to you this morning. Let him draw out, is there an area where you have pride? Is there something that you're holding on to that he wants you to let go of? Are you scared to drink this cup of suffering? Whatever it is, let's just spend a couple minutes or a minute and just before the Lord and, and talk to him this morning. I just admit this morning, God, my weakness. Lord, I admit that, that as much as I want to make Jesus great, often I want to make myself great. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would give us your spirit, God, that you would help us, God, to let go of our pride. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make Jesus big. Lord, that he would be the biggest thing in our lives, God. That we would um, lift his name up, Jesus, above our own lives, 
above anything we have in this world, that we would be about him, that you would show us the beauty that we have in him. Lord, I just I pray as we, we leave, God, and as we, as we worship you, God, whatever is stirring on our heart, if we're uh, hurting this morning, God, if there is uh, something that we're struggling with, God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that we'd be able to let that go. Or tell someone, God, that you just fill us with courage this morning, God. That you would speak right to our hearts, right what we need to hear. Lord, I'm thankful, God, that you've called us together, that you call us your own, that you love us with an undying love. I'm thankful that you uh, hold us, you're our rock, you're our savior.